Okay, so this morning, as Chris kind of hinted at, we're looking at quite a, a familiar uh, parable. We're um, looking at Luke 8, first few verses of Luke 8, and it's the parable of the sower. So if we could have the uh, words up on the screen, please, Simon. Starting to read at verse 1, if you've got your Bibles with you. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a loud crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables, so that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open up your word to us, help us to understand what you are saying through this. Give us ears that will listen. In Jesus' name, amen. If we could have the slides, please, Simon. I wonder how good you are at listening. You good at listening? Well, let's find out, shall we? I've got a a little quiz for you. I'm going to play six sounds, and I want you to uh, tell me what those sounds are from, what they are. So if we could have the first one, please, Tim. Anybody know what that sound is? I saw a few grimaces there. <laughs> Any? A dentist drill. Yes, it was a dentist drill. Let's hear it again just for the pleasure of hearing it. Sorry about that, but I, I did that one specially for my mum. Hi, mum. She'll be watching online. She, she used to be a dentist, you see. 
Okay, next sound, please, Tim. Anybody know what that is? Fire, log fire, specifically, yes, great. Lovely, lovely warming sound, isn't it? Okay, next one, please, Tim. A microwave. Well done, Dave, yes. You're going to have to listen very carefully to this next one. Did I hear Mike there? Skateboard, yes, well done. Okay, two more. Yes, excellent. And then the final one. Sticky tape, yes. Other brands are available than Sellotape. Excellent. So it seems that you're all very good at listening. My, uh, my wife tells me that I've perfected the art of what she calls man listening, <laughs> which seems to be apparently the ability to kind of hear things, but only hear what you want to hear, yeah? And often never what she wants me to hear. Um, I, I, I see some of the, uh, the, the women, the wives uh, nodding, yes, you... Recognize the, uh, the, the real problem that man listening is. Well, in our passage today, which is, a, as I say, a very well-known passage, we are told by Jesus to um, listen very carefully. Now, it's a passage that not only is familiar to us, but when Jesus told the story, it would be a very familiar story to them. You know, they would see these, uh, these fields or uh, various places around the countryside. They would know that they were hard places. They would know that there was paths where seed might fall and not grow up. They would know that there were, would be weeds. They'd know that uh, sometimes the ground would be rocky. They would know that actually sometimes the, uh, um, the seed would take root and, uh, and really bear fruit. It wasn't really a, uh, a surprise to them. And so they might have um, kind of uh, heard this story and thought, well, what's going on? The only, um, I think, uh, extraordinary thing about the story, for those that were listening at the time, was perhaps the yield of the harvest. Do you remember what was said in that passage? How, how many times? hundred times, yeah? Now, for farmers in those days, that would seem quite outrageous. Even for today, with all our fertilizers and uh, our crop management, one seed of wheat, let's say, does not produce a um, hundred times. Um, you've seen a, um, an ear of, of wheat. Um, you know how many seeds are on there. It's not a hundred, right? 
one seed bears typically um, between about 25 and, and 40. So for Jesus to say this crop yields a hundred times of what was planted should have been outrageous to them and should have caused them to, to pay attention. But I wonder of Jesus' listeners how many were just hearing and how many were listening because uh, I don't know if you noticed, Jesus, after he'd finished telling his story, he called out and he said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He didn't just say it, he called it out. And I can just imagine Jesus having told the story, then saying, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And I wonder what they made of that. Now, Jesus was frequently in his teachings referring back to things that perhaps had been prophesied or said in the, uh, in, as we know it, the Old Testament. And for those that really knew their prophets, and particularly Isaiah, they might have picked up on this whole thing about listening and the problem potentially of not listening. You see, in Isaiah 6, um, where, uh, it's that famous passage where Isaiah encounters the presence of God. And God says to him, who shall I send? And Isaiah responds, here I am, send me. But then God goes on to, uh, to say to Isaiah, and he says, tell, go and tell the people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. It's quite a harsh kind of prophecy, isn't it? You know, God was saying that these people will hear, but they won't understand. And there's echoes of this in what Jesus says um, when his disciples come to him and say, what's going on in this parable? Because they say, well, you, he said, you've got the kingdom, the secrets of the kingdom, but, you know, these people, they will hear, but they won't understand. You see, there were many people at that time who saw Jesus, who saw him perform miracles, who heard his teaching, who heard his wisdom, who saw his love and compassion poured out, and yet still failed to recognize him as Messiah. They saw and they heard, but they didn't twig, they didn't really comprehend, they didn't listen. All the signs were there, but that prophecy that uh, um, was given to Isaiah from God himself was coming true. Their hearts were hot, their ears were dull, and their eyes were closed. So let's go back to the parable for the moment. Um, as we've said, it's very familiar. You'll know this story probably inside out. There's four components to it. There's the path where um, it's so hard the seed doesn't uh, um, kind of catch in the ground and it's snatched away by the birds before it uh, can take root. There's the rocky ground where uh, the seed um, starts to grow, grows up very quickly, but then can't really uh, mature. Then there's the ground where the, uh, the weeds come in, the thorns, they, they choke the growing plant. They stop it getting um, the, the nutrition, the, uh, the sunlight, the water that the uh, seed needs. And then finally, there's the good soil where the word is able to take root. So, 
we're given a couple of hints by Jesus as to what's going on in this parable when he explains this to his disciples. First of all, the seed, what is the seed? The word of God. It's the, uh, the word being, being spread out. What is the soil? Our hearts. Yeah, it's us, isn't it? And um, the way I kind of read this is it's, it's us in particular, but it's us generally as well. It's the, the kind of soil, the environment. Um, you know, we know that there are some places um, uh, that are hard. There are some groups of people that are hard. It's not just an individual thing, is it? Who's the farmer? Who's the sower? Well, we're not actually told, are we? But it kind of suggests that it is God who goes out to, the, to sow the seed, to sow the word. But I would also say, to, in some respects, it's us, isn't it? If we are sowing the seed, if we're sharing the good news with those around us, our friends, our family, we're the ones that are sowing the seed. Yeah, does that make sense? Um, so, uh, yeah. Soil is our, our hearts, ourselves, or, or maybe the, those around us. Now, just as a slight aside, I find it quite fascinating that um, Jesus uses the, the kind of metaphor of soil for, for us. Because if you think back to Genesis 2-7, what are we made from? We're made from the dust of the ground, yeah? Um, Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So we're kind of living soil, aren't we? It's quite cool, that, I think. But I wonder, what kind of soil are you? To try and help you kind of remember this, I've come up with four words or phrases that begin with the letter S to help us understand what's going on with these soils, okay? So, first of all... Um, in the case of the, uh, the path. This soil had become trampled so hard that the seed just lay on the surface. The word, if you read the passage, was heard, but before it could take root, it was snatched away by the evil one. So what do we take from this? It could be seen as those who completely reject God. Right? Who are so hard they just don't want to know. And I'm sure we know people like that. Who no matter how hard we talk to them, how hard we pray for them, how hard we demonstrate God's love to them, they just don't want to know. Yeah? I'm sure we know people like that. But I think also perhaps there's an element that we need to look at ourselves. You see, if we don't take God's word seriously... There's a risk that the truths that are told to us get snatched away before they really take root. It's quite easy, isn't it, to approach the Bible, approach God's word quite uh, kind of uh, as a, a dip in, dip out kind of thing. Yeah? We, we, like, we know the bits we like and the like, we like the bits we know, but there are bits that are kind of hard, there's bits that we don't perhaps understand very well, and so we tend to, tend to leave those to one side. You know, we, there are some bits that perhaps we see as, you know, well, are they relevant to today? 
You know? how, how do I equate that to what life is like? And let's face it, there are some pretty tricky bits in the Bible, aren't there? Particularly in the Old Testament. There's bits in there that we say, what on earth is God trying to say through, through this? But what do we do when we find those tricky bits? Do we just let them get snatched away? Or do we try and deal with it? I wonder, what is our response to God's word when things are hard? And in the case of the rocky ground, the second S, I think this is Jesus' warning against superficiality. Because what happens to the seed that falls on this rocky ground? It actually does start to grow, and it grows up very quickly, doesn't it? But then, fades away, dies away, doesn't get nurtured, doesn't get the moisture that it needs. I'm sure that many of you know people who've perhaps made a commitment at uh, some kind of evangelistic event, some kind of away weekend where things have been great, um, and they've been absolutely full of, uh, of the joy of God. And then when they get back to the real world, they can't cope with it anymore. I'm sure we all know people like that. Now, I'm not going to get into the, the uh, kind of whys and wherefores today of, you know, were those people genuinely saved or was it just an experience they had that wasn't kind of serious? Perhaps we'll leave that one for our house groups to, uh, to discuss uh, later this week. But, you know, this, this whole thing of dealing with God superficially, treating God superficially, is, uh, is a really important one. And it goes to show that we must not base our faith on emotions alone. We need to ground ourselves properly. Because otherwise, when we go through rocky times, our emotions won't see us through. And in the time of testing, we'll fall away. The trouble is, with this world that we live in now, we live in a very instant world, don't we? We want things now. We immediately want to see results. And... The rocky ground is a great example of if you don't get the immediate results, you let it go. So this is a word of warning, I think, from Jesus against superficiality. Then we come on to the thorns or weedy ground, our third S. This is where I think Jesus is encouraging us to understand the importance of submission to him not submission to this other stuff in the world around us but submission to him because we see that this particular plant on this uh, thorny ground it grows up but then it gets kind of crowded in by everything that's going on around it and the the worries of the world and the um, concerns over uh, you know riches and what have you chokes the life out of them And I wonder, what's our faith like? Is it superficial that when things are going great, it's all fine? But the minute things start to crowd in, um, things get difficult. You know, and then, of course, we know the, uh, um, the, the uh, 
the good soil and my fourth S here is staying the course. Yeah, if you stick at it, grow, uh, get nurture, then you produce that, uh, um, that great crop. It's very easy for us, I think, to look at this parable because it's all so familiar and say, yeah, I know people like that. I know people who get uh, um, crowded out by things in the world. I know people who you know, have the truth snatched away from them. I know people who are really fruitful um, and uh, you know, really do a great job. But what about us? What about us? When we look at this um, uh, particular parable, I think it's easy to say you're one kind of soil or another. And when I asked you that question before and said, what kind of soil are you? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder what your answer was. I bet we all like to think of ourselves as, uh, we're the good soil, surely, yeah? We, uh, we bear good fruit. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, there's a bit of every type of soil in us. Is that unreasonable to say that? I think there's, in all of us, times when we say this is too hard. I think in all of us, there's times when we kind of get choked by what's going on around us. There are times in all of us where we say, that's too difficult, I just want to leave it to one side. Let that go away. So the kind of soil we like to think of ourselves as being is no guarantee of whether we will bear fruit. You see, the interesting thing is that good soil does not necessarily bear good fruit. On the left there, there's a tree. It grew up, but it had really shallow roots. It was in good soil, but when the winds came, when the storms came, those roots weren't enough to hold it, and it blew over. Then on the right, there's another tree that is growing in what would be an almost impossible situation, you would think. It's growing out of a rock. It is possible for bad soil to bear a harvest. So I don't think we can look at this parable and say, oh, it's all nightly, nicely compartmentalized into the different soils. Because I think there are times in our lives when we all experience uh, part of that. Uh, uh, part of the, all the kind of different uh, soils. And I wonder, are we prepared to let God work in those different areas of soil in our lives? Are we prepared to let him break up the hard ground of the path? Are we allowed to let him remove those stones that are stopping us from, uh, from really growing and maturing? Are we willing to allow him to do a bit of weeding in our lives, take out those things that are choking us, put him first above those other things? Now, just as Jesus in that parable was making an allusion back to the prophet of, of Isaiah... Um, and that, that warning from God that the people would hear but wouldn't listen. I think for us, where we are, we can look forward. <laughs> because where else did Jesus use the phrase, he who has ears, let him hear? To the seven churches, to the seven churches in Revelation. Yeah? Jesus' revelation um, given to John um, when he spoke to the seven churches in, in Revelation, at the end of each of those letters, 
he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So I want to have a quick look at these seven churches. I'm obviously not going to go through them all, but have a think about what kind of soils and conditions were in each of these churches and what their result was and whether or not they were listening. So we haven't got four soil types here. We've now got seven church types, perhaps. Right? They were actual churches at the time, but perhaps as we have a quick um, whiz through them, you'll start to see types of some of churches. So firstly, Ephesus. Um, here was a church that uh, um, they'd endured real hardship. And they were wise enough to spot false teachings in the church. So they were seeming to do good. But Jesus had this against them. They'd lost their first love. So even though they identified the truth, they dealt with the kind of rocky times that they were, they were going through, somehow they still managed to get choked. Then Smyrna. So they'd suffered all kinds of afflictions, poverty, slander, testings, and yet they remained faithful. So they were living in weedy, rocky ground, and yet were able to bear fruit. Then Pergamum. This is described as them living in one of Satan's strongholds. Right? If ever there was a rocky path where the evil one would come and snatch away the truth, Pergamum would be it. But they kept their faith. And they'd had to put up with uh, kind of all kinds of trampling and false teaching being thrown at them. But they had fallen victim from time to time from false teachings. So even though they were able to discern the truth, still Satan was able to break through. Thyatira. They seemed to be doing well. But again, here's another church that tolerated false teachings. They seemed to be bearing uh, fruit, but they fell victim to the truth being snatched away. Then Sardis. Here's a church that seemed alive and fruitful. They had a great reputation. These were people who were bearing a, a great harvest. But Jesus said, you're dead. Wake up, they were told. So even though there the soil looked good, full of life, somehow they weren't producing that eternal fruit. Then Philadelphia. He was a church that had very little. They had little strength. Almost nothing to, uh, um, uh, to go for. And yet they're praised by Jesus for their faithfulness. They should have been failing they had no strength in their own, but they relied 100% on God, and God worked out his plan through them. And in that, they received praise. And then the final church, Laodicea, the seventh one. Here's a church that Jesus said, you're rich. Apparently, you don't need a thing. But in reality, they're wretched and blind, and Jesus threatens to spit them out. See, here was a church that had everything but had it all in their own strength. They weren't looking to, to God's uh, equipping and empowering at all. They weren't looking to take the, the nourishment that uh, came from the word being spread in the soil they were at. 
Seven churches, seven different characteristics. All warned, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Now, sooner or later, we as a church are going to have to sit down and write out what kind of church are we. We're going to have to write a profile that then goes out to ministers, gets advertised in the press saying, we are this kind of church and we're looking for this kind of person. I wonder what that's going to say. What kind of church are we? What kind of soil environment are we operating in? Is it an area where the truth is trampled? Is it an area where it's hard to break through? Is it an area that is choked by wealth and possessions and uh, self-sufficiency? Is it a, an instant, must-have-it-now kind of area? These are the things we're going to have to wrestle with. And Jesus is saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. What is God saying to us as a church about what the next chapter has in this place? Quite exciting times, isn't it? I think so. Now, just kind of building on the, uh, um, the churches at, uh, of Revelation and how they responded to that, I don't know if you picked up, um, right at the start of the passage, there were a group of people mentioned. And three people in particular that were mentioned, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. Right? Now, we hear quite a lot about Mary Magdalene, don't we? But we don't hear so much about the other two. Now, um, what we are told is that here were three women who had been healed of a lot. <laughs> right? They'd been physically healed and they had had demons cast out of them. Talks about Mary Magdalene having seven demons uh, cast out of her. So they'd gone from a, a condition that was bad now, not only to following Jesus, but as we read in this passage, actually supporting him out of, uh, out of their own wealth. And I think that if ever these are examples of people who had a hard time um, breaking through, it's these people. But what happens? They become transformed by the saving power of Jesus. And um, two of them in particular we know, because Luke tells us later on, Mary and Joanna... They actually stayed the course and they were there at the time of the resurrection. Those two are specifically mentioned as being there at the tomb uh, when they discovered Jesus had been raised. So they stayed the course even though things were hard. You know, Mary Magdalene, possessed by demons, right? The evil one would have been snatching the truth away from, from her, that's for sure. Right? Joanna, who was a wife of um, one of the uh, kind of palace officials, Herod's palace officials, she must have been surrounded by wealth and, and uh, must have had all kinds of influence in that situation. Again, anybody who's uh, more likely to be choked by the things of the world, um, she was probably uh, it. And yet, God's transformative power broke through her, broke through into her life and changed her. I wonder, are we willing to be changed as well? Are we willing to be transformed? What kind of soil are we? What kind of soil do we want to be?
Just in closing, very briefly, um, Jesus talks on another occasion about a sower and a harvest, seeds growing up. In Matthew 13, he talks about the parable of the wheats and tares, the wheats and weeds. And I had had to look this up, but um, tares or the weeds that Jesus would have been describing, as they're growing up, they look almost identical to wheat. You can hardly tell them apart. And, um, you know, Jesus... Uh, in, in the kind of uh, in that passage, said, "Well, don't don't rip the uh, don't rip the weeds up because you might rip the, uh, um, uh, the the wheat up as well. Wait till the harvest time and then separate them." And it's kind of interesting that as the wheat and the weed uh, the tares grow up together, the tares grow much quicker and they stand very straight and proud. When the wheat ripens, you can see from the picture there, the wheat kind of bends over, bows, bows over. Right? And then you can tell what the difference is. And for me, this gives such a great picture of how if we want to bear fruit for God's kingdom, we have to do so in submission, bowing down. We have to do so in humility. That song that uh, um, we sang before, The Humble King, Jesus the great example of humility. Even though he was a king, he lived and came in submission to God his Father. So I wonder for us, if we want to be good soil, if we want to bear fruit, um, not just 25 or 40-fold, but if we want to bear fruit according to God's economy, where he sometimes miraculously seems to multiply the things that we bring before him, if we want to do that, we need to do so Not standing proud and saying how good we are, but standing or bowing in submission to him. Giving him all the honor. Trusting in his word as the truth, not only in our opinion. Being prepared to let him work in our lives, even though it might be uncomfortable to us. What kind of soil are we? What kind of soil do we want to be? He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, oh-so-familiar parable. Lord, uh, would its familiarity uh, not take away from the impact that it has? Lord, would you be speaking to us individually and as a church? Tell us what kind of soil we are and what kind of soil we need to be. Lord, particularly as we approach this time of uh, pastoral vacancy, Lord, would you till this land? Would you break it up? Would you fertilize it? Would you take the rocks out? Lord, we want to live in submission to you. Amen.